If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 2 as we begin this season of epiphany, this season of revealing. And this morning we're going to be looking to God's word, looking to the gospel of Matthew to reveal to us this mystery of Jesus. Who is he? Who is he that that men from afar are going to look at the stars and decide to come and worship him? Who is this one that's literally going to change the cosmos, change the world? We're going to look to God's word and ask his spirit to help us in understanding, revealing this mystery of Jesus. But how about you personally? Have you ever personally had an epiphany? I mean, have you ever had something come into your life that an event, uh, a revelation or something that, that happened that changed your understanding? Just kind of radically changed your perspective, maybe even radically changed your trajectory in life. A light bulb that might go on. You say, ah, oh, I understand something I didn't understand. Oftentimes, sometimes from outside of you that, that happens that all of a sudden shines light inside of you that starts making sense of something you just have looked at for a long time, but in a different way. That revelation that will change about everything, sometimes big, sometimes small. Well, we're going to look to that light that will shine into a situation that will reveal this mystery. And you say, oh, that's what it's about. That's what epiphany is all about. It's letting the light of God's word and the light of Christ shine upon Jesus. Say, oh, that's who he is. Interesting epiphany, according to the dictionary on my phone, is this. A sudden intuitive perception or an insight into the reality or essential meaning of something, usually initiated by some simple homily or commonplace occurrence or experience. Probably in my life, if I think through that, it's like, what was the greatest epiphany? The greatest epiphany I had happened to me while I was at college. Uh, as a freshman uh, at Florida Southern College, have, having traveled 1,200 miles from upstate New York to, to come to beautiful Lakeland, Florida for, for my education, it was there that I was drawn to a, uh, a Christian organization called Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Uh, being a baseball player, I was looking for like-minded folks who love sports and love Jesus. And it was there at FCA that not only was I pointed to Jesus, but I met this wonderful girl from Winter Park. Her name was Katie Ward. Uh, she was the funniest girl that I had ever met. Uh, great sense of humor, incredibly kind, attractive, and beautiful. And we became fast friends. And we did a lot of things that freshman year together. We went to fraternity parties together. We went to Christian concerts together. And, and she became a really good friend until my sophomore year. My sophomore year of college in Florida Southern is a small little liberal arts college and they only have one cafeteria and I was sitting in the cafeteria and it happened to be on the night that FCA was meeting and in walked the door, Katie, and something absolutely turned on in my head, in my heart. And I realized, oh my goodness, this is somebody who's more than a friend. Uh, this is somebody that I, I really care for. This is somebody who has qualities of I'm looking for in a wife. This is somebody that Gosh, I have some really deep feelings for. So I was able to navigate my way over to her table at lunch and, and kind of in the best way I could say to her, hey, let's go to FCA. And afterwards, can I take you to get something to eat? Can we go out to dinner? And it was on the way after FCA that we were headed to Pizza Hut where the story takes two different directions. There's the Katie version and there's the Jeff version. 
And what she wants to say, there's the truth. And then there's a Jeff version. But, but what was happening was, is, is I wanted to reveal to her this epiphany. I wanted to reveal to her that there was a change that took place in my heart, that something happened that changed everything. I see her differently, more than just a friend. I see her as somebody that I'd like to pursue and date. And maybe someday, who knows what God has for us. So on the way to Pizza Hut, from the very short little drive from college to, to Pizza Hut, I, I told her about the epiphany. And she says, this is how I told her. Katie, I love you. It worked. I don't know. I wanted to say, hey, you know, I really love the person you are. I've had this epiphany. You know me. I'm not a man of many words. I don't just come out and say, Katie, I love you, do I? I probably did. But that, that, I'm so grateful for that epiphany, that change, that, that change in reality. And again, it started a, a relationship that now 29 years of marriage and probably about 32 or three years of, of us uh, loving one another. Well, a greatest epiphany that God will give us is the epiphany of the mystery of Jesus, revealing that who he truly is and the way, listen, the way we should respond to him in love. If you understand the epiphany of scripture or the revelation of Christ or revealing the mystery of Jesus, you will say, I love him too. I love him. There's something, I, I don't just know him. I don't just know about him. I haven't just heard about him. But this, this light goes on, this light inside that says, wow, this is one whom I love. And may that epiphany be a reality with each one of us here this morning. As we look to God's word, we see this, who this Jesus is. And may each one of us say, wow, I love him. We're going to look at a familiar story. We're going to be in Matthew 2. We're going to read the first 12 verses of the Gospel of Matthew. And it's going to be a familiar story for many of you who've been around the Bible. It's a, it's a story of the wise men or, or the magi or sometimes poorly translated the kings who, who come and they bring their gifts to, to worship Jesus. And there's a lot of mystery around this story. We'll unpack more of the mystery as the sermon unfolds. And there's some mystery that we'll leave out of here still scratching our head about but it's an incredible story. As a matter of fact, it's the Advent season. It's just finished. And one of the joys is walking around our block. Uh, we live in the Stonewood area off of uh, Orono. And it's really a wonderful way to walk. It's just kind of one big loop or one big U with a couple of cross streets. And as I walk through the neighborhood during the Christmas season, you see the different lights. But there's one neighbor that far from me that's got the best manger scene ever. It, it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's big. It's, it's wooden. I mean, it's, it's not just some puny little thing. And if you have a little puny little thing, thanks for having it. Not, but this is, this is, this is big, right? And so, and he's got a star over it and, and I, and I really appreciate it. And, but what he has there is he's got wise men that look kind of like Kings kneeling at the manger of Jesus. And if you know, really the story, it's, they, they weren't there. Uh, they weren't there. It was a later time that they appeared. And uh, although it's a great thing in many of our, our crushes, our, our, our crushes, our, our nativity scenes, the reality is I want to sneak in at night, grab the wise men, slide them off a little bit to a distance and put them away because it'll take some time before the happen the manger for them to arrive. But all I can imagine is today's day and age, I'm going to get shot. Now, how did Jeff get shot? He was moving the wise men out of the scene because he didn't feel like it was biblically accurate for this whole scene. But we're going to look to see what is biblically accurate and what God can bring light to with his holy word. Let's turn to this word of God found in the gospel of Matthew. It's a holy active word. 
God's given us his word because he loves us, because he's a God who reveals himself to us. He gives us this word, not just to entertain us, not just a story to tuck away. He tells you this to tell you how much he loves you, to transform you, to become more like him. So hear the word of the Lord as given to us in the gospel of Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, or magi. Uh, Magi, we see magi in the book of Acts. Uh, Simeon, the magician, was called a magi. Wise men, kind of uh, astrologers uh, from the east, came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, Judea, for it is written by the prophet, and this prophet is Micah, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, we thank you for the incredible story before us, for a star that would rise, the star of Jesus, that would cause wise men to leave their homes and to seek and to worship the newborn king. Oh, Father God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come and and would fill this place so that you would make each one of us a a seeker of truth, a seeker of your son, a seeker of life and, and life abundantly. Oh, God, would you give us ears to hear your voice? Would you give us minds to understand your word? And and what does this mysterious story have to do with us? Oh God, would you work powerfully in each one of our hearts that, that we would embrace your love and we would embrace your son as our king, that each one of us would kneel and, and worship him again this morning. And that God, you'd be so powerfully with your people that you would give us feet to walk in a manner worthy of his name. The name Jesus, the name that is above every name, that at that name, every tongue will confess that he is Lord and every knee will bow. Father, would you be pleased to speak through a broken sinner like me? And may the things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, 
Would you use those things to make us more like your son, our savior, Jesus? And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. If you want to follow along with me, you'll find in your bulletin an outline for this sermon. As we look at this revealing the mystery of Jesus, uh, this incredible mystery, we're going to see a couple things. We're going to look at what does this reveal to us about Jesus? It's very important. And we're going to see that this causes some to seek to worship him. And this causes some to seek and destroy him. In this passage, we got these wise men and they're, they're really kind of astrologers. And what we know about them is that they're from the East, uh, that they had seen this great event in the cosmos and, and they were interpreting the events of their day that they were going to go and seek the reality because it pointed to a born king, a newborn king. And they too wanted to go and worship him. But we also see, and again, it's kind of bizarre. I mean, that these were like the first horoscope watchers. I mean, these, these were folks that aren't really in that family of God there. They hadn't heard all the stories that a Jewish folks has. And so it's kind of an incredible mystery that they were drawn, that they were drawn to come and worship Jesus, that they saw something in, in the stars that would cause them to come and to worship him. We'll look at a little bit more of that. But then there's Herod. Herod, who was called the king of the Jews. And you have to know that although he had the title king of the Jews, he had no right to that title. He had no right to that kingdom. He had no right to that throne. It wasn't his rightfully. Herod was an Edomite. Edomites uh, was not the right tribe, the right people that were to ascend to the king. That was for the tribe of Judah and the line of David. But not only that, there's a bizarre thing about Herod he became king of the Jews by the Romans. The Romans made him king. The ones who were oppressing the Jews, the Romans who said, because of a money transaction, because it's a little business deal on the side, they make Herod king. And so now you have this one who's not rightfully king, who's terrified of Jesus, who's terrified of one who is born rightfully as the king of the throne who is born, whose kingdom's going to come. And we got to realize that, that that threatens, that threatens everything that's worldly. It threatens everything of the flesh, that Jesus's kingdom, it's going to do one of two things. It's going to draw wise men to come and worship. And it's going to draw worldly men to try to destroy. It's going to happen with each one of us. As I, as I preach this sermon, may God give us the grace to see ourselves in the eyes of both the wise who seek him and also in the reality of our flesh and our struggle, who those who those parts of us that try to destroy him or dethrone him. And may we be mindful that wise men and women still seek and worship Jesus and worldly men and women still seek to destroy him. First of all, it's about revealing the mystery of Jesus. Well, the mystery of the gospel, the good news of Christ Jesus. This is what this story is all about. And we're going to look specifically as a mystery that's found in Matthew chapter two. And there's a lot of the mystery of the story that I'm going to not deal with because I'm going to tell you, there's a ton of mystery here. So some of you are going to leave here and thinking, man, I wanted to know more. And that's good. If you want to talk further, that's fantastic. Like, for example, how many wise men were there? How many were there? And if you say three, that's a good guess, but it's only a tradition. We don't know. How many did it say in scripture? We don't know. Why do we say three? Well, because there were three gifts. Do you know some of the ancients thought there were 14 of them? 
So how many wise men were there? Well, we don't really know. And, and where were they actually from? Well, we know they were from the, what is called the Orient and the East. Uh, there were some traditions that say that he was a, they were kings, but probably that's not the reality that they were kings. Uh, we want to say, well, when did they arrive? Well, I can tell you this. It wasn't that night that the shepherds were there. They weren't there. This was somewhere between like two years. Of the event. We don't know exactly when they arrived. And and then we could look at the significance of the gifts. What were the gifts? You guys remember? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Some will say there's some really significance of that about burial, that it's really a king that was born to die. But, you know, there's a mystery there. And then what about this star? Was this really a new star? Did God create a new star? Was it a comet? Was it something else that we saw? Was it in the highest heavens? Was it lowest levens? What, what kind of star was it? Well, see, there's a mystery that we're not going to delve into all those answers. But the mystery we are going to look at is, what do we need to know? What do we need to know to know Jesus for who he is? And hopefully come and worship him and come and lay down our lives before him. The first one, the first mystery we have to see is this. It's found in verse two. He was born king. I love that. I mean, it's of all these mysteries that's revealed is born king, that nothing had to happen for Jesus to become king. It doesn't say Jesus was born to become king. He was born king. Usually to become king, someone has to die. Uh, there has to be a succession. There has to be a war. There has to be conquering. I mean, there has to be a recognition, a coronation. This is God's son in flesh. This is a long promised king and he is born king. Nothing has to happen before Jesus is king of kings and Lord of lords. What an incredible mystery. The second mystery we see about this Jesus is he has a star. It says his star rose. I mean, again, the shepherd saw a great light and this star would cause some stargazers from the east to start following it. It rose at he was, when he was born. But it does more than just rise when he was born. It happens to dwell where he is staying. I mean, I don't know all the mystery, but when it goes to Jerusalem, I said the star in some way, the light in some way pointed to the exact place he was. Astrologers who looked to the skies, noticed that something in the cosmos changed. Their world changed. And they wanted to find out what happened. Next thing we see is this, is out of the voice of Herod, a guy that's not rightfully king. He asked about this child, when was the Christ to be born? So we see the mystery that, that this Jesus is linked to being the Messiah. He is the Christ, which is not a name, it's a title. The Anointed One the long-awaited Messiah to come. And so when Herod says, where was the Christ to be born? The high priest, which is a mystery itself. Why would high priest be plural? There's one high priest. Maybe they gathered some who were there and some who at one time served. And the scribes said, well, hey, it's in Bethlehem. It's in Bethlehem. So there was a linkage to him. But once you hear about this prophecy, they say this Jesus, this one born in a manger, this, this little infant, he's born to be ruler. And wow, the mystery of him being ruler the ruler of all, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's also born to be shepherd. He was going to shepherd his people. Uh, he would be the good shepherd who would come and look for his sheep to come and rescue them. This, this week, as I was having my devotion and worship time, uh, just this thought of shepherd was just amplified by the spirit of my life. And I thought, you know, we often think of Jesus as shepherd who would come and put on flesh and come to seek and to save you. But you got to realize this is eternal God who's loved you before time began. Do you know that about God? 
Do you know he loved you before time began? Do you know that he loved you before we messed it up and fell? And even when we fell and we sinned and we, we've made ourselves in many ways repugnant to a holy God, he still loved us. He loved us before time began. He loved us before we messed it up. And he loved us enough, says, I'm going to come get him. I'm going to buy him back. I'm going to come die for him. I'm going to lay my life down for the sheep because I know them by name and nothing will snatch them out of my hand. This is the good shepherd that was promised throughout history that would come for us. But it also says that Mary was his mother. I mean, this is a, this is eternal God, the one who always was. This is the one who spoke and the worlds came into existence. This is the mighty God who holds all things together. Our triune God, this is the second person of the Trinity putting on flesh that has a mother named Mary. And the mystery is what an incredible godly woman she was, but she needed a savior too. But she was poor. She was a, probably a teenager. The mystery that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords would come through one like her. Beautiful, glorious, needing a savior, but fully man. The mystery that wise men, wise men would fall down and worship him and bring him the gifts. Now, we know the story and the story's familiar with us if we've been around the Bible. But you got to understand that this story would shock the original audience. Because this wasn't the Jewish folks coming to worship him. These were folks that were far off. These were folks that seemed really far away from God. God is going to do something so miraculous that he's going to draw the nations to himself. Sometimes the people in Jesus's day, sometimes they thought that God was just all about one nation of Israel, that he was all about one people, that just one thing through the, through the seed of Abraham. They forgot that through that promise to Abraham that all nations would be blessed. And so there's this great mystery that God has done something so beautiful that he's drawing wise men and women from afar to come to him to fulfill scripture. Let me read something to you that's just absolutely amazing. 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah wrote. And so much of the prophet Isaiah wrote that you would look and say, oh my goodness, that clearly is pointing a picture to Jesus. I want to read to you, if you have your Bible, Isaiah chapter 60. If you don't, maybe take a note and, uh, and go back and look at this. We're going to look at six verses. And maybe if you have your bulletin, you want to hold open the, the passage that we read. Listen to how beautifully scripture is fulfilled. Listen to what is unfolding 700 years before Jesus came. Uh, the Lord's word in Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the people. But the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. And the nation shall come to you and the kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your son shall come from afar. Your daughter shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nation shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover, uh, cover you. The young camels from Midian and Ephath. And all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. See, what was happening in this incredible story is that scripture is being fulfilled. That God is calling the nations to himself. 
that wise men are being drawn. We've got to know that the God of the universe is going to make sure that every one of his is going to be drawn to him. What has he done in your life? What has he revealed in your life if you're one of his? But I want you to know this is the God who calls you, who draws you. These men weren't just wise on their own. This is the grace of God in their life. That somehow by God's grace, he would call them afar. And what it would do, it does this, causes some to seek to worship him. That's what the wise men did. They brought their gifts. They came from afar. They somehow, here's the, here's the reality. It's a mystery. It's beautiful. But they knew that somehow this newborn king was their king. They somehow knew that this newborn kingdom was going to reach them, was their kingdom. Was that's what they were to go and to, to seek after, that, to lay their treasures down to him. These wise men, the reason they're wise in my eyes is not that they were stargazers, because by God's grace, they were wise enough to look beyond themselves for the meaning of life, beyond themselves for hope. They didn't look to themselves saying, I hope I'm strong enough. I hope I'm wise enough. I hope I'm enough to figure life out. They were wise enough to say, I got to seek one who's greater than me. I got to seek one who's will help my life find meaning. I need to seek one that I will bow down to to find everlasting joy. You see what we got to realize that we all have the tendency to, to want to put ourselves on a throne. Is it not true we want to be the center of the universe? Is it not true that we want the world to revolve around us? Is it not true that we want to be king? And see, Jesus came to be king of all of us. Is it not true that we're a lot like Herod? That there's something in us that, that wants to destroy one who wants to get on the throne? I mean, there's, there's areas of our life that are in revolt from him that we need to come and worship him and kneel before him. And these wise men give us an incredible example that, that they, they sought after him. They realized that life was not inside of them, that they weren't the center of it. But here's what's even more astounding to me. They didn't seek creation to set them free or to worship. Remember, these were astrologers. These were stargazers. And in their lifetime, they saw something profoundly significant that had never happened before. I don't know exactly what it was, but they saw something so significant that they attributed to God was doing something revealing an incredible mystery. I can't get over that stargazers didn't worship the star. I'm, I can't get over that their life didn't become about naming the star and worshiping the star and becoming famous because of what they discovered. No, it only pointed them to a king worth worshiping. Here's the point. If you live your life and you are on the throne, your life is going to turn incredibly inward. That's what sin does. And if you're going to try to find life and meaning and joy out of making yourself king, making your, your world the number one, it's not enough. God created you in his image for his glory. He created you not to turn inward to yourself, but look upward to our great God. If you haven't, also have the second tendency. The second tendency will look to the world to bring you meaning. Look to the next job, the next thing of purchase, the, the next relationship. That somehow the, the emptiness will be filled by what the world has to offer. Never will it happen. The world only tells a story and points to him and makes us bow and worship him. Do you have a materialistic worldview? One that thinks that you'll be happy if you can just get more stuff? I think the reason the Holy Spirit laid this upon me and pressed it upon me, because these are two things I wrestle with. One is, man, if I could just be king, if I could just be the center of the universe, everything will be right. And you realize 
man, how pathetically shallow. May Jesus always be the king of every area of my life. And that, that lie of that materialistic pursuit, I just can't get away from it. I think one of the deadliest things in my life is Amazon. I, I, anytime I'm bored, any, anytime I'm, I'm just need a little bit of, I can search for who knows what. And the things that you think you need, you know, I mean, uh, it, it's incredible. Uh, uh, how many of those do I need? It will be whispering my eye. Well, maybe just one more, you know? And so uh, the reality is, may Jesus be the Lord of all of our lives. And may we not be those who would try to make ourselves sit on a throne or look to the world to fill our needs. May he only do it. May we be wise enough to come and seek and worship him. Lastly, causes some to seek to destroy him. Herod searched for him to kill him, to rid himself of him. Because why? Because Jesus's kingdom was a threat to all he had. I didn't read this part of the story, and maybe you're new to the Bible, but we all need to be reminded of this. Herod did destroy the children in Bethlehem. Herod was so afraid of Jesus that he said, when did that star appear? And it's about two years. So he says, here's what we're going to do. I want you to go to Bethlehem. And now that Jesus is, he fled, uh, fulfilled scripture, went to Egypt. He said, now I want you to go and just want you to kill all the boys, two years of age and younger. And what weeping there was in Bethlehem and scripture was fulfilled. But here's the point. The point is, is Jesus's kingdom is a threat to those who are worldly those who seek their own glory. Worldly men and women always try to kill him and set up their own kingdoms and agendas. We see this on a national scale. Our brothers and sisters are being persecuted more and more. Because of Christians, they're being pursued. They're being killed. They hate the name of Jesus. And yet scripture tells us not only that reality, but we're in a, we're in a spiritual reality of battle. That our battle is not just flesh and blood. Our, our battle is against the evil of this world. We're to put on the, the full kingdom, uh, the full armor of God. But I think that there's more than just a battle that rages out there. We got to realize there's a battle that rages in here. And we got to be willing to put to death the flesh and anything that we set up that rivals Jesus as king. And we got to realize that naturally that's what we do. Naturally, we are going to set up our own empire or the world's empire and things that oppose Jesus. And God's got to continue to remind us of the gospel and give us the grace to repent and believe and to seek and to worship Jesus alone. Our job is to die to ourselves and pursue after the king. Have you had the epiphany in your life, the, re- re- the realization that Jesus is the only true star worth following? He's the only true light. Are you like the wise men who knew somehow, somehow that Jesus is my king and his kingdom is my kingdom? If that's you, bring your gifts, your time, your talent, your treasures to him. Worship him with your whole life. A couple of questions as we close. What star are you going to follow in 2017? What light, what star, what reality are you going to pursue after? Is it going to be yourself? Can it be creation? Or are you going to worship Jesus the King? If so, what gifts are you going to bring Jesus? What time, talent, and treasures? How will you worship him? And maybe the biggest question we got to ask, what is God's spirit pointing to to say, put that to death? That's a rival kingdom that takes away my glory and gives you a false kingdom. Church, you know who we are? According to scripture in Ephesians 3, we're the ones entrusted with the mystery of God, the gospel. 
We're the storytellers. All right. I don't want to make you big heads, but if you are a child of the king, you are the wise men. You're the wise men and women who have left whatever the world offers to seek him and to worship him. A light of Christ that shines in you. We are now the light of Christ. We're now the storytellers. We're the ones who, by God's grace, who've seen the light, that we're sinners that need Jesus to forgive us and rescue us. We've seen the light. We've been made clean and his and whole. Wise enough to say, Jesus, you are my life and my identity. Let me hold on to you. And may the world see the mystery of the gospel through you and me. And may want to know more about Jesus because he loves profoundly well sinners like you and me. And may the world see that light shine through wise men and women like us. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for this great story. It's so much a mystery to it. And I know that we just scratched the surface. But the reality is this. Jesus was born king. And on his throne, he rightfully sits as king of kings and lord of lords. And everything that is set up in opposition to him will one day be destroyed. And it's our joy and our privilege to put him on the throne, to seek him and to worship him, to lay all our treasures before him. And God, what a mystery it is that you were reconciling the world to yourself through your son, Jesus, not counting our sins against us, but through Jesus's life, through his atoning death and resurrection, that we've been reconciled to you. And God, we thank you for your grace in our lives, that light that has shined, shined into our, the darkness, that those like us who were far off, you have brought near by the blood of Christ. And now, unbelievably, we are your ambassadors. We are your children. We are the wise men who've been entrusted with this great treasure in jars of clay. God, I pray that the light of Christ would shine brightly, that you would convict us personally of what we need to repent of and turn from and place Jesus in his rightful place. And that God, that the world may see the beauty of Jesus through broken sinners in relationship with you by your grace for your glory, because we have had the privilege of seeing the light. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.